0: Welcome to Renovate, the young adult ministry of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We are for all young adults. Whether you're far from God or walking close to Him, we believe that our God fully knows us and fully loves us. So instead of leaving us as He finds us, He is constantly and graciously renovating our lives so we can look more like Him. Enjoy this week's message. Good evening. How are we doing? Pretty good? Um, all right, let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, we'll be uh, starting off there tonight. So Christians don't exactly have the best reputation. Um, I don't know if that's a shock to you or not, um, but uh, the reality is we're not the most beloved group of people on planet. The planet. Um, in fact, I, I feel like if Christians had their own like, Yelp page, uh, there'd be a lot of one-star reviews, right? There'd be a lot of just people venting about horrible uh, experiences, uh, negative uh, interactions with Christians, right? And, and I say that half-joking, but that, that also breaks my heart because uh, once upon a time, it wasn't like that. Right? Like once upon a time, that, that's not how we were viewed in culture, right? In fact, in, in the book of Acts, uh, Luke describes the early church, and, and in Acts 2, he says of the early church that they had favor with all people. They had favor with all people. I, I, like that's not said of us anymore. like we don't have favor with all people. In, in fact, there's a lot of people, if they were to describe their interactions with Christians, they're, they're not very nice. They're very negative, right? And that that really bums me out for for one very specific reason. Our, Our goal here is that we want to send you guys out as ambassadors to be ministers of reconciliation. Last week, Ben talked about that, how, how our whole lives are, are built on this idea that we have, have sinned and our sin, it separates us from God. It fractures our relationship with God. Yet out of a love for us, God sent Jesus to come and to reconcile that relationship. And so now we get life and joy in where once there was death, right? And so now our, our opportunity, our privilege is to go out and be ministers of reconciliation so that people may marvel at Jesus. Like We long for people to marvel at the beauty of what Christ has done for us, but the problem is that it's very hard for people to marvel at Jesus if they're distracted by the behavior or the actions of his followers. It's very hard for people to marvel at who Christ is when they look at his followers and there's something going on in their lives that just kind of puts them off a little bit. And so the reality is that we don't have the best reputation as a result. So what we're going to try to do in this series is we're going to try to fix that. Not globally, not nationally. That seems like a a hard thing to do in six weeks. But um, our hope is that for the people in this room, for those of you in this room who call yourself believers, that we can begin to look at, man, what what do we look like in the city of Fort Worth? And, And how we're going to do that is we're going to look at this gap, this gap between who people think we are and who we're actually called to be in Scripture. Because the reality is who people think Christians are and the words that they would use to describe us are are drastically different than who we're actually called to be in Scripture. And so we're just going to break down some some words or some things that kind of describe our reputation in the world and, and try to figure out how do we get back to a place where we look like the people that we're actually called to be in scripture. And so tonight, we're going to start off by talking about the idea that the world would say that we are a people that are repressed, yet we are people that are actually called to be free, right? This idea of repressed versus free, that, that we are repressed. And so um, let me explain what I mean. What I mean is that if you were to ask the average person who, who is not a follower of Christ, from the outside looking in, oftentimes we're, we're known by the things that we supposedly can't do. So people would say, oh, so, so Christians, those, those are the guys that can't smoke, they can't cuss, they can't drink, they can't have sex before marriage, they can't uh, listen to rap unless it's like edited. Um, they can't watch Game of Thrones. They can't uh, watch certain movies. So they just create their whole genre, which are like movies but worse. And so there's all these things, right, that the Christians just supposedly can't do, right? And so we're known for the things that we can't do. And so what happens is the world looks at us and says, man, those people are so repressed. Those people don't get to experience all these amazing things in life in the name of Jesus. And I hate that. I hate that we have a reputation for being a people that are repressed, because if you look at the Word of God, we're actually called to be a people that are free. That are free. In fact, our whole faith is built on the idea that we have a God that longs for us to experience life and joy and freedom. And so tonight, I want to answer two questions. Two. One is, how do we get here? How do we get to a place where people would ever think that we are a repressed people? And two, how do we get back to a place where people can look at us and marvel at who Christ is and, and, and look at him in an undistracted way because they see there's a freedom that marks his people that is just compelling? All right, so that's where we're going tonight. So let me start by answering uh, the first question. And the first question is, how do we get here? All right, how do we ever get to a place where people would think that we are repressed? And, and what I would argue is that a lot of it comes down to the idea that, culturally speaking, we don't understand the difference between restriction and repression. Or that, culturally speaking, we don't understand the difference between repression and restriction. And so here's what I mean. Um, Words have definitions, and definitions matter, right? And so if you were to look in a dictionary at, at what repression means and what restriction means, to be repressed means that you are subdued by force, that someone is forcibly subduing you. Right, But if you look at what restriction means, it means that someone has put boundaries up, that there are some some boundaries in place. Those are two very different definitions. But culturally speaking, we have come to a place where we believe that to restrict anybody is repressive, right? That if you restrict, that 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 if you put boundaries up around anybody and tell them that they can't or that they shouldn't do certain things, then by default, we say that is repressive, And so if you view the world through that lens, then I can 100% understand why you would think that we are a repressed people. Because if those two are synonymous in your mind, then then yeah, that that makes sense. But the reality is that's not what those words mean. And when we look look at Scripture, there are restrictions that God places in our life. There are certain things that, that God warns us about and certain boundaries that God puts up in our life. But every single time we find a restriction in Scripture, it's never meant to rob us of joy. It's never meant to repress us. It's actually meant to lead us into the fullness of life and joy, and it's been that way since the very beginning. So let me read this to you. This is uh, Genesis 2. Uh, we'll have it up on the screen. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the creation account, God puts man in this, this incredible, lush, beautiful oasis called Eden, and this is what he says. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. All right. I want to point something out to you, right? I highlighted a couple words. This is the very first command that God ever gave a person. The very first, like, thou shalt, if you will, right? And notice, what does God command? He so says God commanded the man to eat How? Freely, right? Not not sparingly, not in moderation. No, no God says you may eat freely from, from some of the trees? From from this section over here, just from that one and that one and, and, and that one? No, from any tree. So so the very first command that God ever gives us as people is, hey, or or Adam specifically, is that you are commanded to eat freely from anything you see. Any tree, anything that you say, man, it belongs to you, it's yours. You want that, eat it. You want that, eat it. It all belongs to you, right? Eat freely from whatever you see. I don't know how you define repression, but this doesn't sound repressive to me. To be honest, this sounds borderline gluttonous, right? I mean, I mean this, like, this is a level of freedom and liberation that you and I have never known. He says, anything you see, it's like that scene in The Lion King when Mufasa takes Simba up on the rock, right? And he says, whatever the light touches belongs to you. That's what's happening here. He's saying, hey, whatever you see, it belongs to you. This is, this, this is freedom. Yet there is one restriction, and what is it? He says, the only thing that I ask you to do is that you don't eat from this one singular tree, because if you do, you're going to die. Again, I don't know how you define repression, but the idea that God would put you in a place and say whatever you see belongs to you. Eat freely from whatever you see. The one thing I ask is that you don't eat this because it's gonna kill you. That doesn't sound repressive to me, right? That sounds like someone gives you a black card, sets you loose in a Whole Foods, and says, eat whatever you want to, just don't drink the Four Locos because it's gonna kill you, right? Like like that's what's happening in the scene. right? I don't even know if those are still around, but those are gnarly. So right? That, this, is what, this is what's happening, right? I mean, this is freedom. This is freedom. Yet, if you know how the story ends, Adam and Eve, they, they become obsessed, they, they focus on the one thing that they cannot have. They focus on the one restriction. And they begin to believe that God is holding out on them. They begin to believe that, that God is trying to repress them or rob them of joy because surely, surely a loving God would never restrict me. Surely a loving God wouldn't let me do what I feel like doing. Surely a loving God would never put any sort of boundary around me. I mean, how repressive is that? And so they buy this lie that God's trying to rob them of joy or repress them. They take and they eat and death enters the world just like God lovingly warned. And so what happens is that when we look at this, when we look at this story, we tend to do the same thing. We tend to, to overlook all of the freedom that God has given us, and we tend to focus on the few things that God puts boundaries around or the few restrictions that God has, and we begin to obsess over those things and think, how could a loving God ever restrict me? How could a loving God ever try to rob me of joy? For instance, let's let's use alcohol as as an example. Um, If you search Scripture, uh, alcohol is not a sin. Consuming alcohol is not a sin. Like, it's not in there. It it is uh, nothing about it is inherently wrong or uh, evil, right? Yet, like any good thing, when you abuse it, bad things can happen. And so what God does is God puts certain restrictions or boundaries around how we use it so that we don't abuse it, right, in order to lead us into life and joy. But what happens is that we can kind of take things out of context and we can begin to to view God as this really restrictive, repressive person. So let me read a a verse to you out of context. So in Proverbs 23, 31, it says this. It says, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. Now, if we had that verse by itself, it would be really easy for someone to look at us and say, man, what a repressive God is that? Don't look at wine when it sparkles and goes down smoothly. Like, is he trying to just rob me of joy? Like, what kind of restrictive, repressive God would ever, like, be mad at you for for, for just looking at wine? Like, what's up with that? But if you read this in context, what we find is that this is a, uh, a loving restriction about the abuse that God, uh, God lays out there. And so let me read to you in its entirety. He says, Who has woe? And who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? It's those who tarry long after wine, those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent, and it stings like an adder. And your eyes will see strange things, and your heart will utter perverse things. When you read the passage in its context, you find that we have a God who's not trying to repress us or rob us of joy. We have a God who is at every turn trying to lovingly guide us and warn us and and lead us into a place where we experience the fullness of life and joy. Because some of you know, and and myself, I'm in this but 100%, but some of us know that when we have come to a place where we view God as this repressive, restrictive God and we go the other way, we experience woe. And some of you have woe. Some of you have sorrow. Some of you have, have wounds without cause. Some of you have unnecessary pain. Some of you have, have uttered perverse things that you can't take back. And, and I'm in that boat myself. If, if I were to, to, to write out for you like, my top ten biggest regrets in life, the majority of them happened under the influence and I got to those places in life because there was something in me growing up that I thought, man, h- how repressive is this God? When, when you actually look at all the restrictions that God lays out, what we see is we have a God who longs to lead us into the fullness of life and joy and away from sin and brokenness and emptiness. I mean, and maybe alcohol isn't your thing, but my guess is that there's some sort of restriction that you find in the Word of God, whether it's um, relationships or sex or money or work or whatever it is, that, that there's something that, that you see that might rub you the wrong way that, that leads you to a place to believe that, man, this God is so restrictive. And the reality is that we have a God who is not, uh, not repressive, a God who's not trying to suffocate us, a God who's not trying to rob us of the joy, but a God that's trying to lead us into the fullness of life and joy. And what he's trying to do is lead us away from the one thing that truly does repress us. Because what actually represses us is sin. See, the most repressive thing that we experience is the enslavement to sin. The most repressive thing that we experience is the enslavement to sin, and this is what I mean. We have this cultural idea that true freedom takes place when we can have whatever we want. When we have no restrictions, no boundaries, when when we are free to do whatever we want or have whatever we crave, that's true freedom. But the reality is that we are not as free and autonomous as we think we are, right? Scripture says over and over that that we don't have the ability to be truly autonomous because we always serve or worship something or someone. In fact, Paul says it like this in Romans 6. It says, do you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, because once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteousness. Right. What Paul is saying is that we have a God who makes it very clear You have two options. You will always serve one of two things. Either you can choose to serve and obey God, who who is going to lead you and love you and guide you into life and joy and freedom, or you can choose to serve sin, which is going to enslave you. Enslave you, oppress you, repress you, however you want to say it. And our God cares so deeply about this that he's gone to great, great lengths to make sure that we get to experience life and joy. I mean, the beauty of the Christian life is that we don't have a God who is trying to repress us. We have a God who has created the world to work in such a beautiful way, and he says, hey, if you just trust me, if you listen to me, if you obey me, if you follow me, I know where life is found. I know where freedom is found, and I want to lead you to it. And in the moments when we run and rebel, which we all do, God has created a way for us to come back to him. The beauty of the gospel is that Christ came and he said, hey, I know that you have run and rebelled and you want to do your own thing and you've wound up in this place where you're just enslaved to your passions and your sins and your desires, but I'm you from that. And what we see on the cross is that Christ has gone to great lengths to free us from that enslavement. So now we get to wholeheartedly chase after God, knowing that, I mean, I don't want to be the master of my own life because that's a mirage, like that's a facade. I, I want to follow you. I want you to be Lord of my life because I know that in you is life and joy and freedom. So the reality is from the very beginning of our faith, this whole thing has been about God trying to show us where freedom actually is. We don't have a God that tries to repress us. We have a guy who lays out restrictions in order to lead us into joy and in life. And so the question then becomes, all right, so if, if, if that's how we've kind of gotten into this mess, if that's kind of how we've come to a place where we've misunderstood what God is doing to where we look really repressed, and then what do we do to get back to a place where the world looks at us and says, wow, those guys are free. There's a freedom among those people that, that is so compelling. And the first is this. I think we do two specific things. One, I think we need to change how we talk about restrictions. I think we need to change how we talk about restrictions. And here's what I mean. I think there's something incredibly compelling about a living life that is different from everybody else when you have a compelling reason for doing so. I think when you have a life that looks different from everybody else, it is so compelling when your reason for being different is actually compelling. Right? The problem is that for a long time, Christians have, have done a great job at looking different. The problem is that our reason for doing so isn't very compelling. In fact, what historically Christians say is stuff like, oh man, like that sounds cool, but I can't because I'm a Christian. Or, oh man, I, I, I better not because I follow God. And what happens is that's really repressive speak, right? Like, like that is a repressive way to talk about how we navigate the world. Right? And, and in fact, let's, let's just go ahead and remove can't from the way that we talk, right? Because the reality is, if it's not sin, you can. If it's not sin, you can. Now, that's not a last to go be a moron and go do foolish things, right? But if it's not sin, you can. Right? And so when it comes specifically to, man, how, how do we talk about this? My, my hope is that the more that we understand who God is and, and God's heart for us and the fact that God is for us and our joy, it changes the way that we speak. So we move from, an, oh, I, I can't do that because I'm a Christian, to, hey, you know, I, I choose not to do that because I just believe there's a better way to live. I just choose not to do those things because I, I believe that God has more life and more joy, and I just think there's a more life-giving option. Right? And, and not in like a really judgy way, just, just compellingly saying, hey, I just feel like there's a better way. Right? So when when people say, hey, like I, I noticed that you don't like go home with people at the bar like everyone else does, like, why why don't you do that? It allows you to say, hey, you know, I man, I like I don't like sleep with random strangers. Um because man, I, I just hate feeling empty in the morning. And I've, I've been down that road, and man, it's, it's not for me. Like, it's called the walk of shame for a reason, and man, I, I just don't like feeling that that way, and I just believe that God has a better way for us to, to engage sex. It, it allows us to speak to pe- people in a way that's like, man, I, like, I'm not judging you for doing you, but man, for me, I just found there's a much more life-giving way to live. That's it. All right? if someone walks up to you and says, hey, man, I know that you don't go as, as hard at the bar as we do or at the party, like, like what's what's up with that man are you like are you not into this say hey you know what man I'm, I'm honestly cool with just like a drink or two because I really don't like losing control of who I am man I just turn into a jerk I don't like I like I lose control of my actions and my words and all these things and do you you wouldn't like me in fact I, I just find there's more joy in life when when I actually have control of who I am man. and I just believe that God has kind of created this in a way that man there's a much better way to do it all hey, right we're not judging anybody we're just understanding and just educating people that, man, I, I've, I've walked certain roads and, and there's, a, there's just a better life-giving option out there. So, so my hope is that we can get to a place where we change how we talk about the restrictions in our life. Because make no, no mistake, there are things that God says, hey, I ask you to refrain from that. I mean, run this way. Don't run that way. But it's all designed to lead us into life and joy. May we know how to talk about that in a way where we get to make much of our God because we understand that his way is the way of life. The second is this, I think we need to stop taking ourselves so seriously, <laughs> honestly. I think there is a direct line between being free and being fun, right? And I think historically, Christians are known for being uptight and stoic, and we're so on edge about, is this sin? Is this not sin? Can I Can I not, right? And so what happens is that we don't live lives that are very fun, right? Like, my hope, though, is that we are people who are free to be fun. You know Why? Because Jesus was a party, like I literally think that Jesus was so so fun. In fact, if you look at paintings of what people think Jesus look look like, in fact, I Googled paintings of Christ. <laughs> first, first, off, just so everyone's like aware, like he's not a white guy. Just so we're clear on that, like he's Middle Eastern, so it's not really what he looked like. Uh, but second, how unapproachable does he look? Like. Like, the public perception of who Jesus was is that he's this really kind of stoic, serious, unapproachable guy. But if you read the Gospels, the Gospels paint a very different picture. A very different picture. Right? So, for for one, non-religious people loved to hang out with Jesus. The religious people got really flustered. But non-religious people loved to hang out with Jesus. Why? Because he was fun. Because he, he didn't walk in a room and be like, hey, man, how's your heart? Right? Like, he, he wasn't intentional. <laughs> right? Now, now, granted, did he care about their souls? Yeah. Was, was, was he very serious about sin? Yeah. Jesus pulled no punches when it came to sin. But Jesus could walk in a room and meet people where they are and just talk about normal things. He could laugh. He could joke. He could tell stories. Did you know that he was hilarious? Like, it's all over the Gospels if you look. Like, Jesus was hilarious. For one, little kids loved Jesus. All my friends are having kids, and they're kind of getting to the age where they're, like, old enough to, like, play with now. For a while, you just kind of stare at them. And you're like, oh, so, so cute. Um, but now they're, like, playing and stuff like that. And what I've noticed about kids is that kids are drawn to people that are funny, specifically people who are goofy. Right, like, like you know, kids don't like flock to guys who are really stuffy and stuff. No, kids love people that like get down on the ground and they play and they wrestle and they're and they're laughing and they're throwing them around. Like, and and, and kids were flocking to Jesus in such a way that everyone's like, whoa, 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 no, no, and he's like, no, no, come on, come on, come on, like, like bring him, like, like Jesus was just he was just fun, and I think that there is a massive disconnect if we are his followers and we're not fun if we don't feel free enough just to invite people over and talk about normal things and laugh and eat food and drink a drink and just have a good time, if you're following Christ and you're not laughing, I think you're doing something wrong. I think Jesus has freed us to be a people who are fun. So what does that look like for you? right? And just imagine for a second if we were a people who were so free and so fun, that we could engage with whoever and we weren't judging them and we weren't like thrown off by what they were telling us or what they were saying and we could just simply sit and engage and just laugh and tell stories and, and be free. Like, like, yeah, we're serious about sin and we, and we want to honor the Lord and we want to chase after him with everything that we possibly can because we know that he's full of life and joy. But I man, what would it look like? I mean, just imagine if people were to look at the people in this room I say, dude, there's just something so compelling about that. Something so free. The way they carry themselves, the way they walk, the way they talk, the way that they, they, they engage, man, there, there is just a liberty about them. What is that? Why is that? I want to know. My hope and my prayer in all of this is that we are people that can understand the gospel in such a way that we're free. We're free from sin. We're free from the power of sin and death, but we're also free to live lives that are fun to live lives that, that make much of him, that live lives, that show people, man, there is a way to live life that is a blast that also leads away from emptiness, brokenness, and regret. I and mean, may we be a people who, who move in that direction. May people look at us and say, man, those people are free. Let me pray. Father, I, uh, I thank you uh, that you are not some cosmic buzzkill that is c- just standing Above us, just um, trying to repress us, God. I thank you that you are a God who, who smiles, a God who laughs, a God who loves uh, the beautiful things in life. and so God, may, may we be a people that have a perspective of you that is right, that we understand that you are serious about sin, that sin costs your son his life, and we're serious about that too, but As people who are forgiven sinners, God, may we be people who walk in the freedom that you have purchased for us. May there there be a joy about us and who we are. So, God, may we leave this place like that. God, for my my brothers and sisters in the room who never experienced that, that joy or that freedom or that life, if this sounds foreign, God, will you just graciously open their eyes? Open their eyes to see how you move your heart for them. God, the beauty of what you've done is that you want us to be free and live in the freedom that you offer to us. So God, may we
1: be people who respond in such a way. We love you. It's your son's name, we pray. Amen. Man, what a good message from Josh. I think so often we start to relate our freedom with our joy. We think that if we have more freedom, then we'll have more joy. We'll be more satisfied. We'll have what we want. If we can just do what we want when we want, then we'll truly be satisfied. So then when God comes in and says, hey, watch out for these things— Hey, run from lust. Hey, run from these passions. Run from these sinful desires. We feel like He's holding out on us. We feel like God is coming in and restricting us, being repressive, and keeping us from things that we think we find joy in. But instead, our God is saying, no, no, no. These are loving boundaries for your good. And He can say that because He's the one who made us. He knows the most intricate parts of our heart because He's the one who shaped it. And so in that, he speaks into us in a way where he says, no, I know exactly what's good for you. I know exactly what gives you joy. I know exactly what gives you satisfaction. And I know what takes away from it. And so whenever he calls us to give something up or whenever he calls us to not go a certain direction, it's not because our God doesn't want us to be free. It's because he knows the safeguards, the boundaries that we need in order to have a joyful, satisfying life in a relationship with him and so when we come up against these issues when we feel like we're being repressed our challenge is to remember that our God has given us all the freedom that we need in the world by opening the doors to a complete and full relationship with him he's taken away every boundary between us and him so now we can run to our godly father in everything that we need but I get it it can be tough sometimes in those moments where we feel like we really really want something to see how it's good that our God says no. But in that, we must fight. We must remember that our God is the one who knows us even better than we do. He's so intimately involved in each and every one of our lives that he knows the desires that are truly going to be good for us even when we can't see them. And so we submit to him and say, God, I trust you. You've led me so far in my life or you're just starting to lead me, but I choose to trust you in this moment because you are for me, and because you are God, because you are my Father, I choose to trust. And so if you need help in learning what that looks like, or you need help rationalizing how it's possible that God is giving you freedom in your current situation, reach out to us at renovateftw.org or on social media at renovateftw, and we would love to talk you through that scenario. That's all from us this week, and we hope to see you again soon.